is Bloomberg Surveillance. I think the key thing for Draghi is to basically make it clear that he understands all the issues that people have. The job market is not as competitive as we like to think. There are frictions in the job market. Bargaining power matters. Economic data is improving. It will not only back away from recession fears, we'll maybe get to the point to where we embrace an idea of a synchronized bounce globally. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning. It is 7 a.m. on Wall Street, 2 a.m. in Honolulu. Uh, Late breaking news, Donald Trump wins the Hawaii Republican Caucus. He also won in Michigan, as did Bernie Sanders. We'll talk about why today on Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. If the prospect of a Trump nomination is scaring investors, they are not showing it yet. A down day in Asia, Tokyo off by eight-tenths, has been followed by an up day in Europe. We are just a day away from the European Central Bank, meaning expectations really high. That's another topic for us here on Surveillance uh, later in the show. The stock 600, four points higher now, 1.1%. The DAX is up 128, that's 1.3%. The FTSE, not going to be affected by the ECB, uh, 36 points higher, six-tenths of a percent. Here in the U.S., futures are significantly higher. After yesterday's lower close, the S&P 500 futures are up by 10 points right now, half a percent, a half percent gain for Dow. E-mini futures, they're up 86. And the stock 600 is four, uh, uh, the NASDAQ, I'm sorry, uh, as I mentioned, 23 points higher, about six-tenths of a percent. Bonds are lower. Yields higher this morning. The 10-year, 1.88%. The 5-year, 1.38%. 89 basis points for the 2-year. That's uh, a little move higher in yields over the last hour or so. Uh, Oil's higher this morning. Brent crude, 40.42, up 77 cents, 1.9%, 1.6% gain for West Texas, 37.10, up 60 cents on the morning. And the Sun tabloid in London says the Queen favors Brexit. No confirmation from Her Majesty. But the pound is higher this morning, 142.25. The euro's higher. Uh, well, the euro has turned around. My mistake. It was higher this morning. It's now lower at 109.73. That's ahead of the uh, ECB meeting. Again, people are expecting some sort of uh, additional stimulus. And uh, happy anniversary, Tom. Uh, today, is the seventh anniversary of the bull market began March 9th, 2009. The S&P 500 is up almost 200% from its low that day. Can you remember? 676.53. We're now just under 2,000. Think of the people that were in cash. Yeah. Stayed in cash. If you were under the desk. I mean, even if you made every mistake before that, how do you catch up if you missed that bull market? That's frightening. Well, we can ask our, our next guest. Dan Suzuki isn't sure, I guess, how much higher it can go. He's the senior equity strategist at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch Global Research. And you recently lowered your S&P forecast. Yeah, that's right. I think we wanted to reflect that there was greater risk just a couple months ago in the market. I think some of that risk has abated a bit with the turn in the economic data. You know, with, talking about the anniversary, you know, you're going to see pretty much every every media outlet talk and write articles about how we're, you know, at the seven-year 
year anniversary of this bull market. I think what's more important for investors to take away is how much the market's up since the prior peak. You know, if you think about where we were in 2007, in October of 2007, if you were an investor and you bought the market then, you know, you would have, you would have seen, you know, the biggest bear market in our lifetimes, the biggest recession in our lifetimes, our financial uh, system brought to its knees, yet the market today is up over 50% in a, on a total return basis since then. And I think that speaks to, you know, long-term investing and, and why you can't try dividends. to And that goes to dividends. Dividend goes. Is your model, whether you're cautious now and optimism later, which I believe is the general call, it's centered on return of cash to shareholders. Yeah, I, I mean, think it's no different now than it was Ibbotson four decades ago. You know, it, it's it shifted a little bit. I mean, if you look historically, uh, going back to the early part of the century, or last century, you know, companies were paying 50%, 60% of their, their earnings out as dividends. That's come down, but you're starting to see it go up. And I think it's it's an underlooked area of the market. Again, going back to the 50% returns you've seen since the prior peak, half of those came from dividends. So I think dividends are, are way too underlooked in this market. That may be the case, uh, but that, to me, sort of falls under the, the old Chuck Prince. you got to dance um, well. Well, the music is playing. If they're giving out dividends, take the dividends. But doesn't it suggest that companies are not investing their cash to grow the top line? And so longer term, the outlook isn't as good. Well, the fact that dividends are important, important is sort of separate from whether or not they're investing in, in capital investments. So if you look historically, whether they've invested or not, dividends have always been well, div- the, the concept. Component. Yes. Yeah. I'm just talking about the fact that they have increased and more companies paying uh, a higher dividend. Also buying back stock to prop up their stock. I price. think the the fact that you've seen a massive increase over the last few years in returning cash to shareholders is a reflection of the fact there's less investment opportunities out there. Uh, I mean, there are options. If there are less growth opportunities out there, your option as a shareholder is that is to want them to invest in the company, which you know is there's not many growth opportunities out there, or return that to shareholders, which I think makes sense, or sit on cash. Uh, so I think that that makes sense. Um, the fact that you know dividends increasing, I think that's actually more a reflection of the fact that there's uh, the market is starved for yield. I mean, you were talking about interest rates, how low they were a little bit earlier. I think that is driving this drive this demand for dividends, and and companies are, are responding to that. Jen Suzuki with us, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, uh, Bloomberg Savannah this morning, brought to you by Invesco. Looking for investment views? Experienced experts, they're just a click away. Go to Invesco.com slash U.S. to subscribe to the Invesco blog and follow at Invesco U.S. on Twitter. Give me the three groups I need to be in if I want to get ready for further highs in the market. You're hesitant about now, Mm -hmm. but if I've got to research three groups, what are they? Uh, if you if you if you believe that the market is is going higher, you obviously want to get into the more uh, cyclical areas, especially the, particularly the ones that are beaten down. Now, part of that mining. Is- Part of, yeah, part of that is based on what your commodity view is. If you think that commodities are going higher, those guys, those stocks have a lot of room to rally further. But I think from a risk reward perspective, you know, technology companies have great balance sheets and they have good growth prospects. Industrial companies, if you do believe that the data the data has shown an inflection, I think you could see you know those companies, particularly given how high quality they've become relative to a decade ago. Historically, you know, they had you know hugely volatile earnings growth and you know low quality balance 
balance sheets. Now they have, they've delevered their balance sheets and their earnings stability is a lot better. So I think, you know, industrials and tech, uh, are, are well positioned if you think the market's going higher. I think our theme is really more about moving away from your sector view and more about playing themes like companies with stronger balance sheets, uh, larger companies, companies with more stable earnings. I think those types of companies are going to continue to do well, especially if you think that we're probably in the early stages of a credit tightening. I think, uh, you know, we're just now, if you look at the Fed loan officer survey, we've only seen the first two quarters of net tightening by loan officers. That's probably going to continue uh, going forward. So I, I don't think you want to be riding the junk rally that you've seen in the recent mm-hmm. weeks. The uh, the target um, for the S&P 500, you, you recently lowered. Uh, why uh, yep. are you coming down at this point? Well, I think it's a reflection of a few things. If you look at, uh, you know, the earnings front, uh, you know, the earnings outlook's definitely gotten worse. The commodity outlook has gotten worse. And so I think and, – and then on top of that, the data that was coming in, you know, I mentioned uh, uh, on the last segment that – the ISM had seen six consecutive months of, of deterioration, and that wasn't – it was basically every indicator you look at was basically at, you know, cycle lows or it's seen significant deterioration. So, But well, do you get on – I don't mean to interrupt, but I yeah. think this is critical. I'll go with the gloom of January. Yeah. You climb on now for a rebound. How does a pro extend the easy rebound and do a bull call? How do you do that? Yeah, I think uh, it depends on whether – right now you've seen the bull rebound based on a lot of high-frequency indicators agreed. that are very agreed. volatile. Totally agree. So I think to get – to extend the bull rebound, you have to have some uh, belief that these are sustainable. The the, the pick, pick up in growth you have is sustainable. I think in the near term, the market's probably got a little bit ahead of itself. I mean, I mentioned on the last, the last show, estimate revisions are still at a cycle low, meaning that analysts are taking, are taking down their estimates – uh, two to one for every analyst that's taking up their estimates. That's a pretty bad sign for the markets in the near term. But I think as you get more later in the year, you are going to see growth pick up, and I think that's going to be you know the sustainable. And you get out front of that. What I just heard you say is you want to research industrials. Uh, industrials and tech, I think, are, are, are where you want to look to ride the, the okay. upward moving markets. Dan Suzuki with us uh, with Bank of America, uh, Maryland. She'll continue uh, with us here through the hour. A lot of interesting guests coming up today and into tomorrow uh, as well. Um, Mike, very quickly here, at 8.30 tomorrow, the world stops. Is that true? Um the world stops, Mr. I Draghi. I, 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 well, yes, <clears throat> in that sense, I, the world, uh, the markets keep going, but everybody stops to listen. We'll do that. Yes, it's well, like the old Shearson ad. Where else do you want to be? Broker Michael is. McKee sifting the ECB headlines tomorrow. We'll be all over it. That is a good and beautiful thing. Like futures up 11, Dan Suzuki driving the market higher. Futures up 12, Dow futures up 94. Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. The Democratic presidential candidates split primaries in Michigan and Mississippi yesterday. Bernie Sanders surprised Hillary Clinton with an upset win in Michigan. Clinton soundly won in Mississippi and helped put her more than halfway to winning the delegates she needs to secure the nomination. For the Republicans, Donald Trump had the strongest showing, winning in Michigan, Mississippi, and Hawaii. Ted Cruz took Idaho. Vice President Joe Biden says if Iran breaks the terms of the nuclear deal it signed, the U.S. will act. 
Biden spoke alongside Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu today in Jerusalem, shortly after Iran announced it had test-fired two ballistic missiles. Two days of a public viewing begins today as the body of former First Lady Nancy Reagan will lie in repose at the Reagan Presidential Library. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. Now, Michael Barr. Mike, Tom. And, Michael, thanks so much. Again, equity markets rise. Futures up 11. Michael McKee and Tom Keen, Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Mercedes-Benz. This month here, Mercedes-Benz Tri-State Healers welcome spring with limited time offers on select models like the sporty CLA and versatile GLA. Each engineered and priced to move, visit MBUSA.com today. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are higher, signaling more gains for equities heading into the eighth year of a bull run as investors await cues from central banks. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 12 points. Dow E-mini futures up 101. And NASDAQ E-mini futures up 27. DAX in Germany is up 1.5%. Ten-year treasury down 14.30 seconds. The yield 1.87%. Yield on the two-year 0.89%. NYMEX crude oil up 2.1% or 78 cents to 37.28 a barrel. COMEX coal down 7 tenths percent or $8.30 to 12.54.70 an ounce. The euro, $1.0977 and the yen, 112.49. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Our Bloomberg Business Flash brought to you by Interactive Brokers. They offer direct market access to stocks, options, futures, Forex bonds, and ETFs in over. 100 market centers in 24 countries, all of that from a single account. Visit ibkr.com slash trade worldwide, ibkr.com slash trade worldwide. We thank Interactive Brokers uh, for their support. Michael? Dan Suzuki is Senior Equity Strategist at Bank of America Merrill Lynch Global Research. Uh, We're talking about the uh, outlook for the markets. Uh, Jeff Gunlock, who's a very well-known bond investor offering mm-hmm. opinions on stocks yesterday. Uh, he says the S&P has just a 2% upside, a 20% downside, which he says uh, is a big losing proposition. He's calling this a bear market rally. We should note that uh, this week they closed their uh, $6 million equities growth fund. It uh, fell 12% this year. So maybe he's um, speaking from anger or, or frustration. But uh, what do you make of uh, the idea of a bear market rally here. I think the the fact that so many people are are bearish on stocks and are getting frustrated by by this market is actually is actually a good thing. You know, you look at pretty much every sentiment indicator out there, they're pretty much at either cycle lows or or decade long lows. Whether you look at one of the interesting things that comes out of the fund manager survey from our colleagues is that cash levels at at fund managers of people that are actually paid to put money into work Where are, they? are are at the highest level since 2001. It gives you a sense of how much confusion and how much fear is out there in the markets. And, you know, on top of that, you know, <clears throat> look at all the other sentiment indicators. People are not enjoying this rally and people are not participating. And I think that that right. is one of the upsides. Well, and this goes to your research and what you do so well, which is the basic idea that given what you just described, people expense their way to good EBITDA and good operating income. 
the bottom line is we always, in every case, underestimate the ability to cut costs. Where are we within that belief? Yeah, I think that the the ability to cut costs here uh, is pretty select. I mean, one of the ways that we were talking about uh, earlier is, you know, they can the companies. One of the ways that they may start to you may start to see come up more frequently is cutting costs through M and A. I think if you look at the the shift in the M and A cycle that you've seen over the past couple of years is before it was a matter of buying, you know, the high growth names. There's been a decisive shift in the past six to twelve months, and where the M and A has really been derived from defensive mergers, and part of that comes to this, you know, speaks to that cost cutting uh, desire that you're talking about, you know, cutting out the synergies. I think there are, there is some room uh, for that. Um, what's interesting is everybody's talking about how you know margins have peaked and they need to mean revert. Well, I, I think that that's, that story is a little bit overdone. I think if you look at the the sector level, there's only two sectors that really have stretched margins relative to history. It's only consumer discretionary, which is at record margins, and technology, which is at record margins. And I think outside of that, you know, it's pretty mixed. A lot about half <clears> the <throat> sectors have below average margins relative to history, and the fall off in margins that we've seen last year was entirely due to energy. If you take out if you take energy, out energy, where's the – okay, but where's – what you're saying is if you take out energy, we've already cut a lot of expenses? We have cut a lot of expenses. I mean, that's been, you know, one of the drivers for uh, growth. So I think at an individual company level, the ability to cut costs further, I mean, you can do it, but you're starting to cut your – you're cutting mm-hmm. into your livelihood, mm-hmm. you know, seeing it in the financial services business where, you know, you're cutting, you know, workers. So then you merge. I mean, this yes, fact goes circuitously right. right back to what we were talking and about earlier this morning. And you're seeing more of that in the past six months. Like I, was we, saying. I mean, we talked to Megden Desai about this from LSE. Yeah, is is the answers the 30s? Everybody combines combinations. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because companies have gotten really big already, uh, and so you know we'll see what the political environment is to allow some of these mergers to, yeah. to continue. Oh, there is that uh, dollar. You uh, have written uh, that there's a lot of concern about what the strong dollar will mean. Uh, right now, it's losing ground significantly. The Federal Reserve's trade-weighted dollar index mm-hmm. is down more than 3% since uh, its January high. Uh, is that going to fade as an issue? Uh, I think from here, it's probably going to return as an issue. But, I, I, you know, I think that's part of the reason that the markets rallied. I mean, you look at the dollar, you know, hitting new highs, and I think that that was one of the concerns for the market. Now that that's come off, I think that's given a little bit of confidence. Maybe maybe overdone, and one of the reasons that we're still concerned here is that we think the dollar is going to regain momentum later this year. But I think the, the bottom line is that the headwind from the dollar is going to be way less. So if you think about the headwind from the dollar that you saw last year, I think it's roughly four or five percentage points of headwind uh, that you saw last year. I think this year is going to be more like half of that. And so when you get that type of change along with, you know, an improvement or stabilization of commodity prices, I think in the back half of the year you, you can see growth pick up. Dean Suzuki, thank you so much. He is with Bank of America Merrill Lynch with an equity uh, strategy as well. Mike, what did you take out of the politics last night? I, you know, I, I got up early and I, I looked at the headline and said, Really? Uh, something. Well, the polls were clearly wrong on the Democratic side. Yeah. Uh, I'm much more interested in the exit polls. Uh, mm-hmm. Our friend Gary Langer, uh, who does the Bloomberg, what do you say? Uh, does the Bloomberg um, Consumer Comfort Index, does the uh, exit polling for ABC News. And in both Michigan and Mississippi, in the Republican primary, an extraordinary number of people, 60 to 80 percent, 
told the exit pollers they were voting for Donald Trump because they think the economy is lousy. And I find that really interesting. Uh, I want to ask Megan Murphy about that. We well, talked to her at 8.30 this morning because, uh, you know, we talked to people like Dan Suzuki, and, okay, it's not great, but we're not going into recession. But that's not how the American people seem to it's, feel. Uh, well, that's the exit polls rhyme with the mail I get. I will tell you that. We get a lot of mail when people tell us things are good for whatever reason that may be. Michael McKee and Tom Keene, we're here in New York opening our mail. Thanks for sending it. Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by the New York Community Trust, where donors like you help them make New York better. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning at 730 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. We're two hours away from what looks like a higher open on the day with futures up relatively strongly. S&P futures 11 points higher right now, about half a percent. Here's some of the corporate news we are watching this morning. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway marketing bonds in euros to help repay a bank loan, offering bonds maturing in 4, 8, and 12 years to pay off loans used in the acquisition of precision cast parts. That's according to a person familiar with the matter. Burberry shares up this morning. Uh, Speculation, the Intercontinental Exchange also is financing a bid for the London Stock Exchange Group, uh, according uh, to people familiar with the matter. It will go to head-to-head with uh, Deutsche Börse to win control of the U.K. company. Uh, Prudential, the U.K.'s largest insurer, reporting a 19.3% increase in pre-tax profit. And Norway's Sovereign Wealth Fund, the world's biggest, had its worst year since 2011. The government pension fund global returned 2.7% in 2015 after rising 7.6% the previous year. Now let's check in with Michael Barr at the latest world and national headlines. Mike? Mike, thank you very much. Democrat Bernie Sanders scored an upset win in the Michigan presidential primary last night. Sanders' rival Hillary Clinton easily won Mississippi. Clinton spoke to supporters in Cleveland ahead of next week's primaries in Ohio and other states. You're here tonight, and you're going to do everything you can in this next week, along with people in Florida, Illinois, Missouri, North Carolina, who are going to the polls. Clinton is more than halfway to the delegate account needed to win the nomination. Meanwhile, Clinton and Sanders will hold their eighth debate tonight. For the Republicans, Donald Trump stretched his lead in the delegate count with wins in Michigan, Mississippi, and Hawaii. Ted Cruz won Idaho. Pentagon officials say U.S. airstrikes targeted and may have killed a top commander of the Islamic State terrorist group. The commander, who goes by the alias Omar the Chechen, is said to have operated in both Syria and Iraq. North Korea is publicizing what it claims is a mock-up of a key part of a nuclear warhead. Leader Kim Jong-un says his country has developed miniaturized atomic bombs that can be placed on missiles. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Michael Barr. Mike? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. And for that, we bring in John Stashauer. 
Thanks, Mike. Busy night for the locals in hockey and hoops. Rangers were coming off a loss to the Islanders, where they have not lost back-to-back games since mid-December, and that streak continues with a 4-2 win at Buffalo to stay three points ahead of the red-hot Islanders, who were back home from a 6-1 road trip and who got by Pittsburgh 2-1 on an Anders Lee goal in the third period. Knicks have not had back-to-back wins since mid-January. That streak continues, outscored in each quarter in a 110-94 loss at Denver. 17th loss. In the last 21 games, Carmelo Anthony scored 30 versus his former team. In Toronto, Brooke Lopez had 35, but the Nets blew a 16-point halftime lead, fell to the Raptors 104-99. Neither Fairley Dickinson or Wagner had been to the NCAA tournament in the last decade. It's FDU who's going, having gone to Staten Island to win the Northeast Final on the road, 87-79. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashow. Thank you, John. As we mentioned, we're seeing strength in uh, the markets. Uh, in Europe, no exception. The stock 600 now up by four points, 1.2%. The ECB is meeting tomorrow. We will have Mario Draghi's press conference for you live here on Bloomberg Surveillance, 8.30, Wall Street time. This is Bloomberg Radio. And this is Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. The uh, markets uh, change in psychology from yesterday, shall we say, where uh, maybe there was some consolidation going on. Right now, we're looking at people buying in. S&P futures up by 11 points, half a percent. Dow futures 90 points higher. That's also half a percent on the day. Gold, uh, concomitantly, is down $9, 1253.80. Time now for the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report, brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, partnering with government and industry to apply the university's world-class research assets to innovate and spur economic growth. Learn more at njit.edu. Here's Bob Moon. Thanks, and good morning, Michael. Coming up on 735 on Wall Street, and here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math. Time to stretch STEM studies. The New York Times reports the federal government is preparing to publish a rule on Friday that will make international students earning degrees in science, technology, engineering, and math eligible to stay for three years of on-the-job training. This is seven months longer than under the 2008 rule it replaces for the STEM optional practical training program known as OPT. It's set to take effect on May 10th. This is fueling the debate between industry leaders who say they're desperate for skilled talent and tech workers complaining it's an end run around stalled immigration reform and an assault on American workers. An artificial intelligence system developed by Google beat a top-ranked player of the ancient brain-challenging board game Go. In a televised match in South Korea, Google's self-learning deep mind technology seems to have mastered one of the most creative and complex games ever devised. And Tyson, the big U.S. chicken producer, is facing special challenges in China, where consumers have been chastened by years of food safety scares. The company has added to some of its chicken products a quick response code that can be scanned with a smartphone to see exactly where the bird was slaughtered and when the meat arrived in the store cooler. That's this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Michael. Thank you, Bob. Well, a lot of focus on China over the past week as the uh, Party Congress figures out what the Chinese economy is going to be like, command-driven, top-down. So their plans are to um, bring in growth this year, 6.5% to 7% uh, on the year. And to do that, they are going to uh, add short-term stimulus. We've already seen uh, reserve ratio cut. And they are going to, they say, start cutting over capacity in some industries like steel production. 
Asia Times columnist David Goldman follows what's going on in China very closely. He joins us now. Uh, David, uh, let's start with the growth numbers, 65 to 7%, certainly lower than we have seen in years, but still, uh, people say, relatively ambitious. Well, that's a blend of very strong growth in the consumer and tech sectors and very bad growth, negative growth, in fact, in traditional cement, steel, and other smokestack industries, which are, in many respects, past their use-by date. So what the GDP number comes out is is much less important to me than the kind of qualitative improvements we want to see from a number of industries. And I think if you follow what Chinese private tycoons are talking about, we'll have a number of benchmarks. We want to see a, a, a quantum leap in efficiency of solar power. We want to see improvement in the quality of local production of consumer goods. We want to see continued expansion of e-commerce and e-finance, which is China's great success story. So I think it's the qualitative supply-side bottom-up aspect of the Chinese economy that will make the difference as opposed to aggregate demand management. And that's really what the government has been saying. Well, um, in terms of that supply-side, they are going to try to address overcapacity, cuts in steel and coal production, and more promises to deal with the zombie companies, particularly those on bank balance sheets, what progress will they make? Well, it will be uneven because governance in China is a work in progress, to put it charitably. But it's much easier to shut old companies down than it is, for example, to get the Chinese to buy locally made rice cookers. One of the proverbial Uh, Issues that keeps coming up is that Chinese like to buy Japanese rice cookers because basic consumer products are simply better uh, overseas. So the uh, chairman of Xiaomi, the extremely successful low-cost Chinese smartphone producer, is talking about moving into basic consumer items, producing a higher-quality product at a lower cost. One of the proof stones of Chinese productivity is going to be their semiconductor investment. Uh, as Bloomberg has been reporting and many others, China's plans to spend about $160 billion to um, reduce its foreign dependency on semiconductor imports. Now they import about half. That's going to be a critical test of how good they are. The solar industry, which is now getting to grid parity uh, in China, in terms of cost, is going to be a critical issue because they've got to be shifting away from coal, which is a terrible pollutant, to renewables, as well as nuclear and other cleaner sources uh, of energy. So I think it's going to be those industries which we have to watch and where the real opportunities are. I know some of the smartest tech venture capitalists in the world are massively involved in China right now. I think it's the world's biggest opportunity. They're really concentrating on Internet, e-commerce, e-finance, social media, uh, and other things which exploit the uh, the prospective efficiencies of uh, distribution. Well, let's continue. David Goldman uh, from Asia Times uh, on China and what lies ahead for the Chinese economy. The Chinese stock market finished down on the day by 1.3%. That's a 39-point drop there in Hong Kong. It was a 15 point drop a tenth of a percent but stocks around the rest of the world are higher stock 600 in europe up by 1.2 percent right now this is bloomberg surveillance
Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by NYCB. Ask about their My Community Interest Checking with free NYCB online and mobile banking. Earn more. Get more. Visit nycbfamily.com for details. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. BMW reporting a 5.2% gain in profit last year on higher vehicle deliveries as the world's largest maker of luxury cars pushes to stay ahead of Mercedes-Benz. Stock traders are putting declines in Asia behind them as European markets rise with U.S. stock index futures and commodities. Government bonds are falling, gold sliding, the euro weakening. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 10 points, Dow E-mini futures up 79, and NASDAQ E-mini futures up 21. DAX in Germany is up 1.2 percent. Ten-year Treasury down 13.30 seconds, the yield 1.87 percent. Yield on the two-year, 0.89 percent. NYMEX crude oil up 1.9 percent, or 68 cents to 37.18 a barrel. COMEX gold is down 4 tenths percent, or $5.50 to 12.57.50 an ounce. The euro, $1.0977, the yen, 112.48. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen Moscow, thank you very much. We're talking with David Goldman from Asia Times about uh, China, its uh, new policy conference, and with the Chinese economy. They are announcing additional monetary stimulus. They're going to raise the amount of cash in circulation, David. Uh, They've cut the reserve ratio. Are you expecting... More fiscal or monetary stimulus, or is what they've done enough at this point? Now, China has the highest real interest rates of any major economy in the world, and as a result, uh, the Chinese currency is appreciated in uh, real terms, according to the BIS, by about 20% in the past two years. That's one of the things killing Chinese exports. If you look at the composition of growth around the world, uh, Europe's doing a good deal better after the massive devaluation of the euro. Japan is doing a bit better. Uh, Chinese exports are doing very poorly, and that's largely the redistribution of a fixed or shrinking pie of world trade according to price. Currencies that rise get less uh, exports. So, yes, they do have more to do, and uh, they're very cautious about doing it in a disruptive fashion. There's been a perception uh, that uh, this can lead to an exhaustion of reserves or a financial crisis. As you know, I've disagreed with that, but they have to proceed cautiously. So that's the long-winded way of saying, yes, uh, they've got more to do in terms of monetary stimulus. What is the, give us an update, David Goldman, on the power of Beijing versus the regional powers in China. Is this a stronger Beijing over the last 12 months? Well, the regional powers in China have the problem that they've been financing all this massive infrastructure growth on the basis of local government financing vehicles. It's like a local business development corporation sponsored by a municipality. That's a fabulous amount of debt, and the government is consolidating that debt into provincial debt backed by tax revenues as opposed to local entities backed by assets. That will occur at much lower interest rates should happen over five years, uh, and that will uh, shift about uh, debt equal to about 20% of GDP away from municipalities to uh, the government. So I think there's a massive consolidation of 
centralized power based on the substitution of tax revenues as the basis for government debt from these local government financing vehicles backed by real estate. Where does the uh, where does the the government uh, come into it in terms of dealing with the banks now? Um, banks are a major concern for for people. Even it, they may not have a systemic impact on the rest of the world, but uh, people are watching the the banks and their extended loan portfolios for um, whether or not they can continue to sustain growth in China. Well. Now, the banks have basically been uh, attached to the SOEs. They're very inefficient. We estimate the uh, bad loan ratio, the NPL ratio for banks, at somewhere around 7 8%, which is manageable. There are basically two things that uh, government has to do. One is to permit securitization of non-performing mm-hmm. loans, which is standard. Much more important, let the e-finance uh, entrepreneurs substitute for the banks and make capital available for small and medium enterprises. The banks have been hopeless at that. They just shovel money into big and inefficient entities. But the new entrepreneurs doing e-finance, like Ant Financial, uh, Jack Ma's company, are much better at evaluating credit for smaller enterprises, and that's where China's futures lie. So giving the regulatory go-ahead to allow the new financial technologies to leapfrog over the old ones is going to be the most okay. important thing. I'll, I'll go. That's brilliant. But can you do that within the government regime that they have? If they have true command and control psychology, can you hope for Silicon Valley entrepreneur attributes? Well, you can hope, uh, uh, Tom. Uh Obviously, it's certainly possible within the political framework. There will be a lot of people who don't like it. Nobody likes being leapfrogged. Uh, you know, Jack Ma expresses great optimism. The other entrepreneurs express great optimism, and they've really been a driver of the Chinese economy. It's the uh, double-digit growth in consumption, which is holding China up while some of the older sectors languish. My view is... Uh, the Chinese government can't afford not to work with the entrepreneurs because if they don't, they won't get the growth and they'll lose the mandate of heaven. What's the most important thing for China in this next year to try to live up to their promises? The most important thing is to turn loose the creative juices of entrepreneurs, small and medium-sized enterprises. You have a lot of extremely smart people in China. You've got a new generation. uh, which has PhDs from the better Chinese universities, Mm -hmm. foreign universities, very smart engineers and scientists, people who can innovate. You have to turn that innovation into GDP growth. That's the key thing. Yeah, but but again, how do you do that within this government? Uh, Well, I think e-finance and e-commerce are a great example. One of the cute, cute things about... Uh, doing this over the Internet for the Chinese is that the more of the economy that goes over the Internet, the more of a look-see that the government has as to what people are doing. Uh, from the standpoint of a centralized government, um, you get a lot of information about what people are doing over the Internet. Uh, at the same time, you give entrepreneurs a lot of room to swing. So that may end up being a marriage of interests. Mm. David, help me here with productivity. Um, you've been a great synthesis, and, of course, we focused on Asia uh, with you so much. 
But help me with your thoughts on whether our productivity challenge now is demand-based or supply-based. This has been a great distinction. Well, I think there are two things going on. Uh, there's been an enormous shift in employment away from high productivity to low productivity sectors. We lose manufacturing jobs. We gain fast food and healthcare jobs, which are low-paid, low-productivity service jobs. So a great deal of the productivity decline we've seen in the past dozen years, a growth rate decline, is simply due to the fact that we have a shift in composition of the workforce. The second important thing is that we have a decline in capital investment. Uh, capital investment uh, measured by, you know, there are not by a number of measures, hasn't even reached the 2007 peak, much less the 1999 peak uh, at the height of the um, telecom and, uh, and internet bubble. So if we have less capital investment and we have a shift in composition of the labor force towards lower productivity activities, Tom, of course we're going to have declining productivity. I don't think there's a mystery here. We certainly heard that yesterday, Michael McKee from Dominic Constum as well, lack of mystery involved seems to be front and center. Well, uh, you know, uh, the question is, uh, what will drive additional productivity? Because businesses aren't um, seeing a way, see, seeing a reason to invest that will significantly change things. Well, I think you have you've had uh, a business unfriendly environment coming from uh, Washington, and you have perhaps the most monopolized cartelized economy that the United States has had since the post-World War II period. Virtually all the employment growth under the Obama administration has occurred with the S&P 1500. There's been very little job growth from small businesses and startups, and that's a gigantic reversal from any previous uh, economic recovery. Uh, it's always been the startups that create the productivity that do the innovating, and startups are the major force in the economy that's been absent in this recovery. David Goldman, thank you so much. Uh, the Asia Times, greatly appreciated. Always thoughtful on Asia and on, uh, the linkage of markets into economics. As well. Michael, I, I, I'm fascinated by this idea of an innovation transfer to China. I, I, I'm not qualified to even opine on it for a second, but I just don't understand how you do entrepreneurial spirit within their government system? Well, that's a question a lot of people have asked yeah. because uh, it requires a level of freedom that so far they haven't granted. And I go back to Bob Hormats and what he said years ago in a book, expect the unexpected about China. Yeah. Maybe that's what we'll see uh, as well. Right now we expect a data check, which you need. Futures up nine. Dow futures up 79. It has been a four-day churn in the markets. Brent crude 40.36. What a debate on wither oil. We've had over the last two or three days on the show. Uh, Stephen Shork uh, to join us here at some point. Looking forward to that. Yen, 112.47, stronger yen. Another hour with you, Bloomberg Surveillance. <laughs> 